We are continuing this morning. Our series comes from the book by Brant Hansen called Unoffendable. And uh, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, I'll give you a quick background. This book, the whole concept of this book, is the idea that righteous anger and, and being bitter for Jesus is a contradiction in terms. It's oxymoronic. Bitter for Jesus. That sounds bad, doesn't it? You know, I don't, it, it's like unsweet chocolate. A Christian who's just always mad is like unsweet chocolate hidden in your stocking. On Did you ever as a kid have, make that mistake? Because I made that mistake. I thought I was, I was being real cool sneaking into the pantry. We had a good pantry at our house. And sneaking into the pantry, uh, my brother can attest, usually if it was any of us sneaking in there, it was for Mrs. Baird's fried pies. That's what she went in there for. I remember one time one of my brothers, we found that the entire, he was on the top bunk of the bed, and the leg was hollow, the post was hollow, and it was full of Mrs. Baird's fried pie wrappers that he had snuck from the pantry back in the day, day when they were, one, still good, and two, uh, ten for a dollar. So that makes me sound like my grandfather. My grandfather moved to Texas. He said that what he loved most was that hamburgers were ten for a dime. He said, I know this is where I belong. So now i got fried pies ten for a dollar, and I sound just like him. That's where I belong. Uh, anyway, you don't belong there for long, though, not at ten for a dollar. You will die. Anyway, where was I? I've offended every diabetic in the room. Where am I? Unoffendable. Unoffendable. I have no idea why I was sneaking the pantry. Bittersweet chocolate. Thank you. Bittersweet chocolate. I knew I'd come back around eventually. I just didn't know if it'd be today. So I, was, I snuck into the pantry and I saw this big chocolate bar. You know, it's Christmas season and one of the things my mother would make is tiger butter. I don't know if you know what tiger butter is. Tiger butter is the stuff where you mix almond bark, chocolate, peanut butter, and some form of sugar. I don't know because I don't make it, but my wife does and my mom does. Uh, and so she had those supplies in there. And I saw that big chocolate bar, and I thought, that sounds good. And I don't know what possessed me, because I knew I was going to get in trouble, but I decided I'd break into that thing and get, break me off a piece of that. And I broke that off, and I threw that in my mouth. That ain't right. That ain't right. The Lord did not intend sugar, sugarless chocolate. It, it's wrong, and, and, and I think maybe deadly. I actually think you may die, because I know that my, my life passed before my eyes, as I was coughing and spitting and choking and trying to get that gaggy, skunk-tasting stuff out of my mouth. Disgusting. Somebody lied. and put They, they put chocolate on the paper, but that was not chocolate. That was not chocolate. Mm-mm-mm. So, I found that very offensive. No, this, that's, that's what it's like for us. If we are Christians and we're, we're just constantly angry, constantly bitter, constantly uh, critiquing everything we see, we're, we're bittersweet or bitter chocolate in a world that expects a Hershey bar and really needs one. We really could use one. You know, our world is like that Snickers commercial, you're not yourself when you're hungry. Our world is hungry, and it's not itself. And if you throw a, an unsweet chocolate bar into that, it's only going to make matters worse. And, and so the concept of the book is kind of that, that if we really want to make a difference in the world, and if we really want to be true followers of Jesus Christ, we kind of have to get over ourselves a bit in terms of our anger and our frustration. It's not that some of the things that are happening in the world aren't anger-induced. It's not that they're not frustrating. It's not that they're not wrong. Some of the things are just plain wrong. I won't get into a speak. I was reading an article last night. Honestly, it didn't, it didn't offend me. It didn't make me mad. It didn't make me angry or bitter. But every now and then, you will read something that's going on in the world. And it won't be some weird, isolated thing. It'll be like mainstream in our country. And you'll read it and think, 
did somebody drop me on another planet sleep? Because this doesn't even look like the world that I, that I know. What on earth is going on and why would people be thin like that? You just, you just look at it and you think, what in the world? Well, that, that initial shock of what in the world is not really the problem. But what do we do with it? What kind of an attitude do we have? How do we, when we see those things going on that, that are potentially offensive, that are wrong or, or misshapen or not right, how do, how do we deal with them? in a way that's godly and Christ-like? How can we see potential for God to work things? Uh, not to put you on the spot, but I think uh, Sharon asked, calling us to prayer instead of to judgment in this situation. I think that, I think that comes from a vision of, of how you deal with things and how we ought to look at things. People do, do see things very, very differently, right? Uh, when you go and you look at a house, or if you don't buy, ever buy a house and you've been the same one for 50 years, but you sat in and watched HGTV for like the last 20, and you've dreamed about it, and you, you know, you watch, if you're, you, I, we like House Hunters International. We are never going to be looking for a flat in Poland, but we will watch that one every time. You know, I don't know why. I find it fascinating. It's interesting to see what, what houses are like. There's actually a really cool website where all, all it's about, and it's actually meant to teach people about the income difference around the world, where it just shows people on their front porch all around the world. So fascinating to see how different people live and what the differences are. But uh, you watch that and sometimes you, you think, there is no way. That's what I say every time they're looking to flip a house in California. Oh, this is not going to go well. Because, you know, they got some house that probably hasn't been lived in by anything human, just rats and possums and things like that. Uh, and and you'll look at it, and they, what do they want for it? It's in California. $563,000.83. And you're sitting there thinking, you would have to be last week's lesson to buy that. If you weren't here, last week's lesson was, everybody's an idiot but me. And so you, you think, how in the world could you buy a house for half a million dollars? And they're like 25 years old and work at Dixie Dog or something like that, Krispy Kreme. And, and you're going, how do you have a half million dollars? I don't know how people out there make it anyway. Expense of a house alone, you would think it would drive people somewhere else. But you do what you do, right? And so... They're looking at this house and they're going, oh, this is going to be wonderful. And you're going, that isn't wonderful. There's like 16 kinds of mold just on the kitchen counter. What are you doing? Get out. You wonder, some of them, if they're going to live through like the inspection. And then you watch it and there's always, about after the first 15 minutes, they always find out that like the sewer is connected to the bathtub, like faucet, the bathtub faucet, and, and it's like a circular system, and they got to dig that up because it's also going into the pool, which also looks like a cesspool, and just disgusting. And so, you know, I don't know, people have a different vision. In the book, he talks about a, a couple that goes through with a realtor looking up at a house, and, and they're just so excited because they see all of this potential, and the realtor is like, if you want it, I'll sell it to you, but I don't know, you know, he's not real sure. You hear those stories all the time. The other day I was looking uh, at different examples of this. This one is from, uh, this was funny. They said upstate New York, but it must have been written by somebody from New York City because it's actually southern New York. But that's how it is. It's kind of like people in, in uh, Dallas thinking they're from West Texas. No. And so, so, boy, did you feel that? There was like, I'm going to have to add a fourth point to my sermon now because that was like offense taken. So anyway... Anyway, I was looking at this house. And there, you know, there are a lot of cool old houses up there built in the 1800s, some from the 1700s, then some from the 1600s, that kind of stuff. And this is an old farmhouse. And it's a good thing that they drive it. That's a Mercedes wagon. They won't buy a second one when they're done with the house. But uh, 
they they bought this house and the pictures. I wish I had time to show you all the pictures inside because it's bad. Okay, really bad. I think nobody's been in there a hundred years. I don't know. But they bought this house and, and people thought they were crazy. But then when they redid it, it really turned out nice. Can you believe that's the same staircase over here and over there? That's the same place. And, and if you're looking at pictures, just all over the place. It's really, really cool. I love stuff like that. Some people can walk into this and when they first step onto that porch, this is what they already see. Their vision is different, right? And uh, you know that if you're an old car guy, I mentioned this before, if you're an old car guy, you see an old DeSoto out in the field and you think what? That'd be really cool if somebody fixed that up. That's what you think every single time. Because you don't just see what it was, you see what it could be with some hard work. And you're willing to do that. Some people are able to do that just with, with raw materials. Uh, you look at a, at a pile of, of scrap lumber and this, this happened with some of my family at Thanksgiving this week. They saw a pile of scrap lumber and they could see a half-finished pile of scrap lumber. I'll let that sink in. They could see it. And so that's what, but they accomplished it. They got it there. And other people can look at a pile of scrap metal and they will see a huge smoker. And the next thing you know, you're eating brisket off this coolest, best smoke in the county. People just have a vision and some people have the ability. We got a bunch of people here who have that. The ability to just take those materials with it. And I find that very, very cool, uh, just the ability to do that. And Hanson talks about that in his book, about how artists just, they see things. Artists will see things. And some people are artists, they don't even think they are. A lot of people, engineers, same thing. They can just, I, I am baffled. Some of you uh, probably, this is not to stereotype, but it's probably mostly guys in the room, will, might watch that show, How It's Made. Uh, my, my daughters will watch it if it's cupcakes, but, you know, they will watch anything that's cupcakes. I've seen them watch, you know, zombie apocalypse cupcakes. But that's not even a joke. That was this weekend. Uh, but the <coughs> some, some of you will watch how it's made. And I am impressed with the kind of mind that can make an assembly line, that can work out. And, and, and you think about all the parts Involved in just even five feet of the average assembly. If you, if you were able to take a tour of, of Kohler or of 3M, and some of you work out there, you know what I'm talking about. Just absolutely incredible that somebody actually was able to wrap their mind around all of that machinery before it even existed and started working to put it together. I watched a video yesterday on how to put something together, and this guy was just ordering random parts off of Amazon. And he's just browsing Amazon, orders random parts, gets it, puts it together, assembles it all, did what it was supposed to do. And I'm sitting there thinking, why did he do, think that? Why would he order that? Why? You know, but it worked. So it, it just takes the right vision. Michelangelo said when he was picking a piece of marble that he would, uh, that every piece of marble has within it a sir. And it's your job to hear it call you, get out. So he would look at various rocks and sometimes envision what the finish will be from that rock. That's a different kind of brain. It's a different kind of vision. It's something that sees a potential that I think is really important. Maybe some of you guys had that. I think it's impressive too. You know, looking at this one, we were at the, we were in Fort Worth and then last summer we were out in, uh, at the get in LA and we, we like to go to art museums with our kids and, and, and history museums, period. And so, we were looking at stuff, and there was one that actually the, sculpt, the sculpting work on the fabric even puts this Michelangelo to shape. It was, and it's because it was different material. You can actually tell. That's what was fascinating as I looked at this. 
uh, putting it in the slide. You can tell the thickness of the fabric he modeled it on by the way the fabric is laying. And a couple of the, the sculptures that we saw in those two museums had fine, and this is wild, think about this, cut from a single piece of marble, but you can tell when the fabric was meant to be a thin shirt and when it was a thicker, regular material, even though really you're just looking at sock. That's talent. And how does a person do that and that and create that from that is absolutely impressive. Now, how does all that tie in with our being full? God sees things the way that see things. When He looks at you, when He looks at your neighbor, when He looks at the person that you're mad at, that you need to forgive, the person that's doing something you think is just absolutely wrong, He doesn't not see that. We know that. God not only sees it, He sees all of mine too. And that's kind of our, our deal, right? He sees ours too. All of it. And yet somehow His vision doesn't just hang on that. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't pretend it's not there. He with it. Through the death of His Son, He gave us from sin and helped us conquer death so that when He looks at us, He doesn't have to. He sees what we are in Him. He sees what we can. He sees what people who don't even know Him yet would be if only they would believe. It's His vision that's different. He sees within that rock the sculpture that He can have. He has a vision that is very different from our own, what they could be. Our problem is often that we don't see what they could be. We see, we kind of see what they still are. Or worse, we see what, they, what we think they which may not be anywhere the same thing at all anyway, right? Because we talked about last week, we're not even really good judges of character, not, not to the level that, that we think we are. Let's read this together. And I want to I look at this. This has to do with the vision of God. He sees Abraham. Abraham, we think of him as a hero, right? But we think of him as a hero because we're looking through God's eyes. We see what he became. Abraham, as a man, was as flawed as any of us, made some pretty big boneheaded mistakes, uh, the whole thing with uh, Ishmael and Hagar, it just, what a mess, okay? No other way to put that. He just, he made a huge mess of things because he was human. And it would be easy for us, looking through human eyes, to only focus on, you know, they can say Abraham's a hero, but I know that Abraham did this and he did this and he did this and he lied and he lied again and he told the same lie again and he did this and he did this. And we could go down the list. Even when he was being generous with Lot, I read that every time thinking, Abraham, that was, that was a big mistake. You don't give Lot the reins. What are you thinking? He's always making even worse mistakes than you. Why? Because we even read Scripture, judging the people in Scripture. That's what we do. We do. That's why we want to know what that sinful woman's sin was. It's why we want to know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. Because then maybe we'll have something up on Paul and we won't have to listen to everything he says. So, I think that might be it. So, how does God see Abraham? How would God see us? We call Abraham father, not because he got God's attention. This is from the message, so a little bit in the NIV. We call Abraham father not because he got God's attention by living like a saint. We didn't get his attention by living like a saint either, didn't we? But because God made something out of Abraham. when he... Isn't that what we've always read in Scripture? God saying to Abraham, I set you up as, <coughs> as father of many peoples. Abraham was first named father. And then became a father because he dared to trust God to do what only God do, raise the dead. 
with a word makes something nothing. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw couldn't do, but on the basis of what God said he It's a different vision, isn't it? What God saw in Abraham, there of many nations, what Abraham saw was an itinerant traveling sheep farmer. And God said, no, I think you're the father of many Well, okay, but right now I just have sheep. That's all right. I can work this out. Works it out. In ways that Abraham couldn't imagine, that's why Abraham struggled. He he just couldn't see. He trusted God, but he could see. And every now and then, he let the darkness of what he couldn't see override the light of what he should have trusted in God's ability to work. And we do the same thing. We do that in our relationships. That's why we're so easily offended. Because we can only trust what we see and what we hear and what we see and what we hear let us down. And so we're offended. We don't see. Could this be an opportunity to learn something? Could it be an opportunity to do something? Could it be an opportunity to watch God work and see Him what we cannot change? What, what, can, we, what can God do that we can't? Well, that's a pretty long list, isn't it? And he says, Abraham really learned how to walk by faith. When it says at the very bottom there, when he learned not to live on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on the basis that he would do. That's the key. That's a big change in our vision. Sometimes it gets blocked. Okay, Take a back step. It gets blocked because offense tends to obs- <clears throat> pardon me, obscure our vision. But removing offense, removes, removing our tendency to be so easily offended, that helps us to start to see everything differently and to see people differently and to see potential we might otherwise have. And so we, we kind of have to wrestle within ourselves to really see God work. We have to forgive. We have to, to sometimes uh, let things roll off a duck's back, right? Proverbs 19.11, It is to man's glory that when he overlooks an offense. That's a tough one to live, isn't it? It's a tough one. It's a challenging verse, and it's just stated out there. Like, this is just, it is. Well, I'm sure it's to our glory. It may be why so many of us are so inglorious. We don't overlook very much, do we? Because overlooking, it's just honestly not easy. But we're more like Jesus. Isn't that really what it means when it says it's to our glory and offense? You are more holy. You are more righteous when you're forgiving than when you are judging. That doesn't sound right. That's right. Really right. Maybe this would help us tune. Paul, still in the book of Rome, in chapter 5, verse You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. <clears throat> Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. That's, to me, one of the most powerful is in the book of Romans. We all have our favorites. Most of them are in chapter 8. But this one's powerful. And especially when you think about uh, us dealing with being so easily offended. If anybody had the right to be offended, it's Jesus. Think about what He has to go through in order for us to be forgiven. Think about what He has to put up with in order for us to be saved. That's not... That's not pleasant. It says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, that he despised the cross. He despised the shame that it brought. He didn't like it. 
He had to push through it. So with that in mind, go back and look at this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't die for those who had it all together. He didn't die because there are not any. He didn't die for those who were righteous because there isn't anybody. We've read that too, right? That's Romans chapter 3. We're all sinners. All of us unrighteous. All of us have abandoned His holiness. And yet He still saw something in us. He saw a diamond in the rough. He saw a block of marble with a sculpture inside just dying to come. He saw a dead body in a tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth. He has that vision. He has that ability. But we have to take that on with ourselves. Where we understand, you know, the reason I can't be so quickly offended by every wrong thing another person does is because this verse wasn't just about them, this verse me. While I was still a sinner, while I was still ungodly, Christ died for me. While you were still a sinner, while you were still ungodly, Christ died for you. While your neighbor was still a sinner, while your neighbor was still ungodly, Christ died for them. Equal ground here, right? And God died for every one of us in His Son, Jesus Christ. He did it. He could see what was ahead and faced the cross, faced the beatings, faced the false actions, faced three and a half years of a judgy, cantankerous, just boneheaded men yelling at Him all the time. Because He saw in you something that you struggled with. He saw salvation. He saw hope, worth, value, love, unity, joy in every single person in this room. He see, failed to see it in each other. It's there. God sees it there. And He calls on us to look at each other and say, be kind with each other. Even when there is something wrong and you do have to deal with it, He says go and deal with that person gently. That's, gen that's a Galatians chapter 6. God is trying to sculpt here. And a, a hard bang on a chisel in the wrong place breaks it and ruins it. And God guides with a gentle hand and He wants to guide through us the same way. He can't work with it. He works through kindness. He works through those things that are the fruit of the Spirit as you go to help somebody grow. And that's not always easy, is it? Peter had to learn the balance the hard way. And sometimes he made it and sometimes he didn't. I'll tell you that he, he, he had success and failures both in that. And Scripture records some of those things. And Acts 2 is one of his victories. He stands before the very people who had brought all of that made all those false allegations, argued day in, day out in the temple court of Jesus, been obstinate, been judge, uh, judgmental, all those things. He stands before them. He makes the case again that from the very beginning, God had planned to reconcile Himself to man and man to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ, through the Messiah. He makes that argument. He shows them from Scripture and then he says these words which are powerful. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And that's an incredible moment. 
It's an incredible moment because right then you see people who had been nothing but offended finally drop everything. Right there in the sand. And just like in John, standing around the adulterous woman, people drop their rocks, metaphorically, but they drop their rocks. Said, what are we supposed to do? We've been offended, sectarian, and we had no right. What do we do? This was Peter's answer. Repent. That's, that's just like the Bob Newhart video I showed you several months ago. That's Bible way of saying, stop it. Just stop it. Repentized. Every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Because this is what God sees in you. He sees in you that when you surrender you, the sins washed away, paid for, and gone. Gone. For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive to the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Even understand the gravity of what he said here. It's incredible. To the people who put Jesus to death, he says, it's this easy. Because God was just wanting to love you all along. He just wanted you to stop. So repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God actually says, I'm not offended by you. I will redeem you within you. That is so different from humans who would say, well, I'll forgive you, but you ain't living in my house. God says, I forgive you and I'm moving in. I will be difference it makes when you see with God's vision. And Peter is saying to the people that he saw. Think about this. He's saying this to the people that he saw in the courtyard as they questioned Jesus, smacked Jesus, and be Jesus. And he says, you and I can be family again, and it's this easy. Because God wants your willingness to just drop the gavel, to just let it go. To just say, I, I quit. I quit. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not, I'm not going to go there anymore. I'm not going to judge anymore. Uh, Hanson brings up a scene from the if you've all seen it or not. Great. I don't have the clip today because um, to really get a little too long. Go home, watch the movie if you've never seen it. Excellent. But there's a scene at the end where, he, uh, or where uh, two ladies are having an argument. Here's what happened. There was a, there's no other, this is the easiest, simplest way I know to put it. There was a snotty white woman, okay? She's a, a upper middle class snotty white woman who is a racist bigot and a gossip. Okay? And she uh, has decided that because uh, one of the other ladies' maids, who is an African American lady and a writer, has written something that would expose her sin and, and let people know what she's really like and what she really thinks about everybody else in town that she friends. She thinks that she cannot do anything about the writing, but she can sure get her put in prison for stealing a few pieces of silver, like a couple of spoons and a fork. And she is willing to throw the lady under the bus rather than confess and repent. And so there's this confrontation, and she just says some typically to the maid. And the maid looks at her and, and stands up, go ahead and send me to prison. I hear there's plenty of time to write. It's free. 
I like that line. That doesn't really fit without an offendable, but I love the line. She, you know, she says, there's plenty of time to write and the paper is free. But then there's a moment where she stops and pauses and she sees. It's a powerful moment in the movie. She stops and you can, you can physically see it as she realizes she also has something better to say than just a good comeback. And she looks at her. Ain't you tired? What she's saying is all the facades, all the judgmentalism, all the bigotry, all the anger, all the bitterness. Tired? And isn't it that way? Doesn't it get old having to judge other people? Doesn't it get old worrying about how whether or not somebody else's sin is? We get tired of it. God got tired of it a long time ago. He writes at the end of the chapter, This gavel, the one I awarded myself, who knows, is really, really heavy. I keep pronouncing everyone else guilty for the rest of my life. I don't want this anymore. Maybe you know what I mean, so let me ask you. Ain't you tired? Wouldn't you like a life where you don't have to judge? We're called to one in Jesus anyway. Wouldn't you like a life said that and they said this and you said that and then I could say that and then you could say this and all these things we imagine in our heads that never actually happen but make us mad anyway? Ain't you tired? If you're tired of all that, you can let it go. If you're tired of carrying every mistake, you can go too. If you need prayers this morning, we'll give you. If you need to be baptized and set free, we will gladly be a part of that and see you come into the kingdom of God. We sing.